You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning, again. If this is your first time with us, welcome. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. If you're joining us digitally, thank you for joining us that way. And if it is your very first time at Creekside, we're just so glad that you would be here with us and worship with us today. We'd love to offer you a gift this morning, a tumbler or a sippy cup or a water bottle. That is our gift to you. If it's your first time with us, you can get that over at the info desk, which is right out there. If you would like more information about our church or there's something we can be praying about for you, there should be a slip in that seat back in front of you. You can take it, fill it out, and then put it in the offering slot, which is right over there. Uh, I'm very excited because if you haven't noticed, a lot of people are wearing these this morning, and so name tags have officially, it's like a golf clap for name tags, that's fine. We're mildly amused by name tags, that's great. But our name tags are back. Uh, We have done name tags throughout the history of our church because we want to connect names with faces so we can really foster connection with each other. So here's the deal, we have tried very hard to get all of your name tags over there in the community room. You can go grab yours, and if you do not find a name tag, we have failed. We're sorry. You can grab one, go to the info desk, fill out the card, and we'll have a name tag for you next week. But encourage you, pick that up. Uh, We want to connect with each other. This is an easy way to make that happen. I want to start off this morning praying, uh, not for the Niners. you can do that on your own. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a bold move there, man. I, I respect that. But uh, instead, I want to take a moment to just pray for the physical health of our church, because every other person is sick right now, it seems. So just want to pray for healing and protection. So let's do that as we, we go to God's Word. God, so many of us are uh, dealing with sickness right now, whether it's COVID and quarantining or Lord, I know for many of us who are immune compromised or dealing with a chronic illness, this season of of COVID just adds another layer of hardship and concern. And so, God, we pray for all the people right now who are recovering, who are ill, for your healing, your relief, your protection, your sustaining grace. And Lord, we praise you that even though the outer man is decaying, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Lord, we trust that every trial Uh, in your hands, uh, is used for your good purposes, that you use these things to make us like Jesus. We pray you would. We pray this morning that you would teach us from your word. And Jesus, I ask it for your sake. Amen. Well, family, I finally got it. Two years of avoiding it, I finally got the Rona this last week. Thankfully, my bout with uh, Omicron was more of an Omicold. Uh, It was very mild, and I'm grateful for that because I know it's not always the case. And you were so kind to me. The minute some of you found out, you just flooded me with zinc and quercetin and weird vitamins and roots I'd never heard of, uh, bone broth, and uh, it was great. Thank you for that. Uh, And so physically, really, I, I was fine. Socially, it was terrible. I hated it. I hate being in quarantine. I hate being away from you. And and I think that for many of us, that has been the hardest part of the last two years, is the social impact of COVID. 
the isolation, the loneliness, the, the feeling of disconnection. We are isolated people in America. We were isolated people before COVID. Two years ago, I, I said that many of us, many people in America right now live on islands. We live on islands, and, and even if we want deep connection and community with other people, and we want to get off the island, there are powerful cultural forces that act like waves that just send us back into loneliness and even deeper isolation. That was true before COVID. I would say COVID has accelerated that shift massively. The New York Times did a study on social trends between March of 2020 and December of 2020. So when the pandemic was at its height, when we were all staying home, saving lives, doing all that stuff, during that time, the average American's screen time increased by 60 minutes a day. So March of 2020 or December of 2020, 60 more minutes of screen time, and that's not including work or school, okay? So screen time outside of work and school, 60 minutes a day. And during that same time, people's interaction with those outside the home decreased by 60 minutes a day. So, so what did you trade? You traded 300 hours of connection with people for, for 300 hours with connection with a screen. And, and that is a tectonic shift in the way we interact with people. And the tragedy of the last few years is that the cure for one illness is the cause of another. The, 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 the cure for a pandemic to avoid other people is just exacerbating this epidemic of loneliness. And I would say it's appropriate to call it an epidemic of loneliness. In fact, in 2017, that's what the Surgeon General called it. He said, loneliness is a uniquely American national epidemic. And I would say it's appropriate to call it that because loneliness actually kills people. You can die from loneliness. In fact, uh, one leading physician said this about loneliness, that I am not aware of any other factor, any other factor, not diet, not smoking, not exercise, not stress, not genetics, not drugs, not surgery, that has a greater impact on our incidence of illness and the chance of premature death than loneliness. You need people just to be physically healthy. My, my heart today is to show you why isolation is just as disastrous for your spiritual health. Why should I pursue relationships with people in the body of Christ? Why are these relationships so critical? Why do I need these relationships? They're not just a, a convenience, but absolutely foundational to my life. You need to have an answer to that question. Because the importance of being together has to be a conviction for you. If it's not, the inertia of culture will pull us apart. So this morning as we get back to basics, I want to just re-fortify convictions in this area about why we need to be together. This January, we're, we're doing a series called Reset, Solid Ground for Uncertain Times, because January is the time of the year you hit reset, right? You hit reset on your diets, reset on your habits, you get your Christmas credit card bill, then you hit reset on your spending. 
And it's also a time for us to hit reset and just look at the basics. What are the unchanging truths that guide us as a church? What are the things that are going to be true, that were true before COVID and, and that will remain true when no one's talking about COVID? That's what we're looking at. And in week one of the series, we looked at the most foundational foundation, the gospel, the, the good news of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And we saw, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that the gospel is of first importance. First importance. The gospel isn't the only thing. It's the main thing, though. It's the primary thing. And everything in the Christian life is an implication or entailment of the gospel. Everything in the Christian life is if the gospel is true, if Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did, then this follows. And it's important to reiterate that because what we're saying in this series is not that Creekside has four priorities or five priorities or 27 priorities or whatever. We have one priority, and that's to be true to the gospel, to live in accordance with the gospel, and every priority follows from that priority. So if we're gospel-centered, we saw last week, we're going to be Bible-centered. We're going to be word-centered. Why? Because the gospel comes to us as what? A word. As a message, how do we experience the blessings of the gospel? By believing the gospel word. That's why Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And the gospel word that saves us is the gospel word that changes us, and it's all contained in here. And so if we want to live in line with the gospel, we have to live in line with the Bible. And as my dad said, the proof of our discipleship to Jesus is that we abide in his word. We want to be committed to the word. That's in response to the truth of the gospel. Today, I want to show you why we need to also be committed to one another. And what I want you to see is that this is just an implication of actually believing the gospel. If I believe in what Jesus has done, I will radically reorient my life around the people of God and love the people of God sacrificially. You say, Jeff, why... Why would you say that? Why would believing the gospel lead to radical commitment to one another? Thank you for asking. I always appreciate that. It just makes my transitions easier in sermons. But, but this is why. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. This is where we're camping out today. He says this, So then, church, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you know what Paul is describing here? The fruit of the gospel. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, what did he accomplish? Paul tells us, and he says, so then. In light of what Christ has done, here's what happened. First half of Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were reconciled to God. Jesus fixed this relationship. Second half of Ephesians 2, Paul says, you are reconciled to who? To each other. First half of Ephesians 2 is Jesus fixing our vertical relationship. Second half of Ephesians 2 is all about Jesus fixing 
horizontal relationships. Jesus dies, he brings us near to God. Jesus dies, he brings us near to who? To each other. Jesus died to create a people. Jesus died to create a community. That is the result of the gospel. Three images in this text drive that home, and these are the three images I want to focus on today. That through his death and resurrection, Christ makes us a people, which means we represent God together. We can only glorify God by living together. Second, Jesus makes us a household, members of one household. What does that mean? It means we belong together. This isn't the family I pick. It's the family God picks for me. It's the one I need. And third, Jesus dies to make us a temple. A temple is a dwelling place for God's spirit, which means this. If I want to experience the transformative power of God in my life, who am I going to experience it with? I actually need you to experience the fullness of God's transforming presence. These need to be burned into our minds, and here's why. Culture is a centrifugal force. Centrifugal, it pushes us out. It propels us away from one another. The gospel is a centripetal force that pulls us toward Jesus together. And we have to understand that to overcome just the inertia of living in a culture that makes it hard to form deep connection with other people. So, first point, Christ died and rose to create a people. Paul says this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens, you realize God's creating a nation, a heavenly nation. And the moment you place your trust in Jesus, you get a new citizenship, and that citizenship is in heaven. And what that means is that every local gathering of church in the world of God's people is this embassy of heaven. We are a a representation of heaven and the people of heaven on earth. That is true. The moment you trusted in Jesus, do you realize that? You don't just get a relationship with Jesus. You get membership in a nation that Jesus is building. That truth needs to reshape the way we look at what it means to be saved. I remember talking to a guy one time, and he he said, Jeff, you know what? I just don't see why I need relationships with other Christians. I don't get it. As I read the New Testament... I don't see it. I don't see why I need to be in community with other people. And, you know, as a pastor, it's my job to convince people that they're wrong about things like this. Uh, But I was exasperated. I'm like, how can you not see it? It's not just in one place. It's everywhere. That's like looking around at this room and being like, I don't see the color gray, Jeff. There's no gray in here, right? Now everything's gray at Creekside, right? It's all bleak and neutral and miserable. That's how we want it. Gray. Everything's gray. You don't see community in the New Testament? How can you not see that? Here's why that person had a problem seeing it. Here's why I think Christians in America have a problem seeing the centrality of the family of God is because we are profoundly individualistic. It's just the water you swim in if you're born in the West 
And individualism is like a lens to look at everything. And you look at everything in life through the lens of what? The individual. The lens of me. And if you look at it through the lens of me, what you end up with is a me and Jesus gospel. Where the gospel is about Jesus coming and dying and rising for who? Me. And often that's the way we present the gospel, right? That I am a sinner, I rebelled against God, Jesus loves me, Jesus came and died for me, Jesus reconciles me to God, and now I have what? I have a personal relationship with Jesus, who is my personal Lord and Savior. That's all true. That's all gloriously true that the gospel applies to us as individuals. Here's the problem. If that's all the gospel is, is just Jesus fixing my personal relationship with him, then what's the point of the church? The church is like this additional thing, right? It's an add-on. It's great. It's, it's cool to have community, but it's not what the gospel's about. The gospel's about Jesus, what, fixing my relationship with him so that God gives me this permanent connection with Jesus, but do I have a connection with you? I don't know. I mean, maybe if the church helps me grow spiritually, then I need the church, right? And so then I go look for the church that's the best provider of religious goods and services and find the one that's kind of most, you know, attuned to my needs and what my family needs. And if that's the best church, then I'll go to that one. But if it doesn't meet those needs, then maybe I'll go find a different church. See, but everything is viewed through the lens of what? Me. Me. And the church becomes this appendage. It's this add-on. I might appreciate other Christians. I might even like you, but I don't need you. What I need is a personal relationship with Jesus. That is a popular sentiment. It's wrong. That is not the way the New Testament presents what it means to be saved or to have a relationship with God. The New Testament consistently presents not a me and Jesus gospel, but a we and Jesus gospel. Listen to Paul's words in Titus 2.14 and the way he says it. He says, Jesus gave himself for us, that's the gospel, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a what? People for his own possession, zealous for good works. Jesus died to create a people. Jesus did not die to create a loose association of individuals who may or may not have a connection with each other as they appropriate their individual, you know, relationship with God. No, he died to create a people. I like the way that these guys say it in their book, Total Church. He says, we are not saved individually and then choose to join the church. Did you hear that? We're not saved individually and then choose to join the church as if it were some club or support group. Christ died for his people and we are saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. The instant I have a new relationship with Jesus, I have a new relationship with who? With you, right? Because the minute God adopts me into his family and he becomes my father, what do you become? My family, my brothers and sisters. And that's not just a cute metaphor. No, like you're really my brothers and sisters. The minute I'm joined to Christ, I'm joined to his body, which is what? The church, that's the body of Christ. The minute I'm indwelt with the Spirit, I'm joined to the temple, the church. See, everything that's a me and Jesus implication of the gospel is also a what? A we and Jesus implication of the gospel. 
And that means that the primary place I experience the benefits of salvation and all that God has for me in Christ is in the context of who? The people of God. I cannot separate this idea of having a relationship with God and being part of the people of God. They always go together. That should change your motivation for being part of the church. Because why would God do this? Why would God form a people in this way? Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, he goes on to say that God made us a people so that through the church, the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, that's a sermon series, that text. But what is Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. In the gospel, Jesus is putting back things together that are broken, right? He's healing and restoring all of creation. What's the proof that Jesus has accomplished anything? What can the world look at? What can angels look at? What can demons look at and see the evidence that God has accomplished something? What is it? It's the church. When the church, when all of us who have no business being together, who come from wildly different backgrounds, all of a sudden gather together and worship Jesus and love each other sacrificially, what does it proclaim to the universe that Jesus has done something to reconcile creation? See, when we live as a unified body where we are together and I lay down my interests for you and you lay down your interests for me, we're actually declaring to the universe that Christ's death accomplished something. That's the visible proof to the world that Jesus has done something. That should change your motivation to be with other Christians, shouldn't it? Because the ultimate motivation to be together is the glory of God, to demonstrate that he reconciled us, that he has brought us close. That's the implication here. Fundamentally, we should pursue relationship with one another in response to God, not out of a felt need for community. See, even if I say as a radical individualist, I don't need community, I don't see the need for, I don't whatever, I don't start with you to think about community. Who do I start with? God. What did God do? He died to bring us together. And I cannot glorify him if I'm not a part of this community that showcases his reconciling power to the world. Does that make sense? Here's why that's important. Some of you are extroverted. And you're like, yes, this is true. Amen. You are, and I've used it, I've said this before, you are the golden retrievers here, right? And I'm like that. I just walk around, hey, hey, how's it going? Hi. I just want to meet people, right? I love people. I hate not being on people all the time. Just people, people, people. Some of you are not golden retrievers. Some of you are cats. And you're a little prickly. You come in here every Sunday and you're just kind of, right, just kind of spooked by people. I don't know you. I don't trust you, right? I'm just ready to jump all the time. Listen, whether you're a dog or a cat, the motivation for this is not because you have some incredible felt need. 
right? It's that if Jesus laid down his life to bring us together, then we should gather together. We should gather in big groups. We should gather in small groups. We should be a gathered people because that demonstrates that Jesus actually accomplished something. He brought us together. The reality is this. Humans gather for what matters. Don't they? When people care enough about something, what do they do? They gather. In 2020, millions of people protested over racial injustice, police brutality. In 2021 and 22, millions of people marching the streets, protesting COVID restrictions, all these other things. Why are they out in the streets? Do you know what none of those people said? They said, guys, this is a big deal. Do you know what we need to do? We need to get on Zoom. We need to like have a big Zoom meeting. Like it's gonna be huge because that's gonna be more convenient, guys. If we can all just get on Zoom, like more people will be able to make it, okay? No, no one said that. Why do they not say that? Because when you are publicly gathering, you're saying this is really important and you should pay attention, right? That's why the church gathers every single week. It's not just for our sake, it's for a watching world and a watching demonic and angelic realm, Paul says, that showcases how important the gospel is to us. Does that make sense? So, We've got to gather for what matters. This changes our motivation to be in small groups, to be in big groups, to be together. So, that's the first point. We are made a people for the glory of God, to represent Him. Second, Jesus makes us a household. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God's my Father now, we sang it. That means what? You're my family now. Do you know the dominant image for the church in the New Testament? Do you know what it is? Family. It's the one Jesus uses the most. 269 times Paul calls us brothers and sisters, siblings. Jesus died to create a family. What does it mean to be a family? In Jesus' day, in the Mediterranean world, there was no relationship closer than the sibling relationship. That is the most violate, inviolate relationship there was. And here's why. In the ancient world, your family was defined by your dad and your dad's blood. Patrilineal is the fancy term for it. But your father's blood determined the identity of the family. And so if you shared your father's blood with someone, it meant you were really, really close. Really close. And so think about this. Jesus Christ comes into this culture where sibling relationships were the most intimate, inviolate, important relationship that, that could not be betrayed. And he goes to his followers and he says, you are my mother brother and sisters. What's Jesus saying when he creates this family with one father, and he says, all of you are brothers and sisters? He's saying that our primary allegiance, our primary commitment is to who? To the family of God. Commitment for the Christian isn't just a me and Jesus thing. You see that? It's a we and Jesus thing. And the New Testament church proved how committed they are because the minute they become a church, what do they start doing? They start selling stuff. 
at selling houses and sharing possessions and radically sacrificing for these people who are not their blood family, who have become their family in Christ by his blood. Radical reorientation. That's true for us as a church, and it changes the way we look at church because I think there's a temptation to view church as relationships we choose. Do you pick your friends? Yes. Do you pick your family? No, you just sort of get it, don't you? It's just there. And and one of the mind shifts we have to have is this, is seeing church as a family we receive from God rather than a community we choose for ourselves. This is a challenge in our culture because we long for belonging. People want to belong to a tribe, to a people. Here's the problem. They also want to be free. They also have unlimited freedom to to commit when I want to commit, pull out when I want to pull out, just kind of be as committed as I want, and I want to find people who are perfectly compatible with me, and and that's going to be my community, right? And you can't have both of those things. (laughs) To, To have deep belonging with other people, you have to sacrifice some freedom. There's going to be inconvenience. There's going to be people around you, like in your family, they're just weird. Church is always going to be full of weird people that you wouldn't naturally hang out with. And you're like, who are these people? These aren't my people. You're right, they're not your people. They're God's people. But God's offering them to you to become your people. And he is giving you not the family you would want, but the family you need. He he wants to give you more than just life stage friends. He wants to give you cousins and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and spiritual moms and dads and this whole array of relationships you would have never picked for yourself, but God wants to give that to you. And so the challenge is, can you receive this community as a gift and say it's weird, it's awkward, these aren't the people I would naturally connect to. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And be grateful for the people God has brought into your life rather than hoping for some ideal compatible people to hang out with. You see the difference? It's a different kind of commitment. It's not just friend commitment, it's family commitment. And if we don't receive, ultimately we become people who hurt Christian community because we're not grateful for the people God gives us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who experienced Christian community in a concentration camp with people he never expected to be in Christian community with, he said it this way, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. All of us, when we come into Christian community, are going to experience a twinge of, ah, this isn't exactly what I want. These aren't my people. I don't know if I'm connecting or not. That's normal. The challenge is to say, but are these the people that God has given me to be in community with? Because then I need to learn to receive that as a gift from who? From God. From God. And the more I fall in love with my ideal Christian community, the more I'm going to despise the actual Christians around me because they don't measure up. This isn't the family we would pick. It's the family we get. 
I think about that a lot as we're foster parents. You know, whenever we get a placement, I'm like, this little baby did not pick this family. But, but this family can't wait to get this baby. And God looked at us when we were helpless. And he said, I know the family that this helpless person needs and puts us within it. Receive it as a gift. There are gifts for you to get in the body of Christ, in his family, that are going to surprise you if you embrace and commit to just the people that are here. All right. People, family, last one, temple. See, if we're a people, that changes our motivation. We want to glorify God. If we're a family, it changes our posture. It's one of humility and gratitude for the people God does bring into our lives. If we're a temple, it means this, that if I want to experience God's presence in its fullness, I actually need the people of God. Listen to how Paul describes this again. He says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is describing God's building project here, right? And Jesus dies, that's the cornerstone. And he dies to create this dwelling place for God. He dies and rises to bring us to God so we can live in God's presence. And the apostles and the prophets, they proclaim this message of Jesus' death and resurrection. And they build the church as people believe that. And Paul has this vision now of stones being added to what? A temple. What's a temple? It's a dwelling place for God. And as each stone is added, we are growing. Don't you love how Paul mixes metaphors? It's not just a temple. It's a growing temple. It's an organic temple that somehow is now growing and maturing and becoming what God wants it to become as stones are added. And this is the place where the fullness of God's presence lives, where Christ is building and transforming through his presence. Back in Ephesians 1, Paul calls the church the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is filling everything with his presence. Where does the fullness of Christ's presence reside? In the people of God. We often talk about how I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. You're a dwelling place for God. Do you know what the New Testament most often says? We. We are the dwelling place. And that needs to change our perspective on why we gather, whether it's this gathering or a small group, the implication here is the reason you gather with people, physically gather, is that you want to experience the risen Christ at work. That's why we get together as a church, because the fullness of Christ's presence is where? In our gathered reality. That's why we're together, is we are expectant that Christ, who is the head of the body, that his life is going to flow to us and going to build up his church. And do you know how Christ's life flows to us, according to Ephesians 4? Through other members of the body. The, the presence of Christ, it comes from the head, through the body, to the body, and the body is built up. You are all conduits of Christ's life-giving presence to me and vice versa. Listen, that's why we show up, whether it's a bigger group or a smaller group, is because we are expectant that Jesus is going to do something that he only does when his people are gathered. 
The church is a gathered reality. Do you know what the word church means, ecclesia? Gathering. <laughs> so the church is. It, yes, literally called out ones. But in the ancient world, a church is an assembly. It's people being together. So the church is more than people being together. It's not less. Fundamentally, it's this gathered reality. This is so important to remember because, you know, during COVID, we really had to figure out why do we get together like this? Right? What's the point? Because we've got Zoom, right? And we've got live streams and we've got amazing technology to connect us digitally. And it's way more convenient. And the, the reach is way broader. And so why not just do everything online? Well, the reality is this, that some things can only be experienced when we're physically together and present. Jay Kim, who's a pastor in Silicon Valley, I like the way he says it, digital informs us, digital technology, analog physical experiences transform us. Digital informs, analog transforms. Embodied in-person experiences where we are gathered, that's what Christ uses to change us. We are a gathered people. And some things just can't be done digitally, okay? Right? Um... I heard one pastor asked, why not do everything with digital church? He said, why not have a digital honeymoon? <laughs> right? It's cheaper. It's more convenient. It's funny, right? Because people had Zoom weddings over COVID. I don't think anybody had a Zoom honeymoon. Some things you've got to experience in person. The church is an in-person, in-fleshed reality. That's why we gather on Sunday. You know, I, I love Hebrews 10. It says we shouldn't forsake gathering together, but do you know why? Because it says we should spur one another to love and good deeds. That's why we're together. So fundamentally, you're not coming on Sunday to hear some songs or to hear me speak. You are here because the gathered body, Christ is going to work through everyone here to bless you and minister. And there's people Christ wants you to minister to. He wants to work through you. And you need to be present with those people. That's a different motivation, isn't it? Because if church was about me getting people in a room to just talk at them, I can do that online. And by the way, there's better people you can listen to online than me. If it's just about preaching. If it's just about worship experience and this credible worship product. I love Max. I love the team. There's better musicians. There's more talented people who can give you a more compelling experience. That's not why we're gathered. We're gathered because all of us are conduits of Christ's presence to one another. Do you know why we sing on Sundays? Worship is not something that you consume as a Christian. Worship is what you create with the people of God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we sing to who? To one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Your faith is strengthened. You are filled with God's Spirit as you sing and the people next to you can hear you. And as you can hear their voices, you're strengthened. Worship is something we create together and that God works through as we take up the song of the gospel together and join the song of heaven and it's that ministry to one another that can only happen if we're what? Together. We need each other physically in the flesh 
to experience God's presence in that way. We are a people. We are a family, a household. We are a temple, which means we should radically reorient our lives around each other. What does it mean practically? Action steps for 2022. One is that we just need to reprioritize physical being together whenever we can. Right? Okay, if you have COVID, don't come to church, all right? I'm not saying that. Let's be wise. But we need to keep pushing for physical gathering on Sundays, for physical gathering within our small groups. Here's the thing. Technology is a wonderful tool of God's common grace, okay? It is. And I praise God for technology because I believe it kept us together in vital ways over the pandemic. Absolutely, I'm grateful for it. But we have to weigh the trade-offs with any technology. And what we want to be moving toward in all our gatherings is in-person connection, where I inconvenience myself to be with you, trusting that the risen Christ wants to work through us as we're gathered. Ecclesia, gathering, right? Whether it's a big group or a small group. What it means for us, you know, as a church, we'll continue the live stream for now. But we are going to put an expiration date on it. And, and, and here's why. We want to have our content online. We're going to have all our services online. We'll keep that online so that anybody, if you can't get to church, whatever, that you can view it, that's fine. Here's my concern, and I'm not like trying to start a fight with every other church that does this, okay? So there's different reasons for doing and not doing. But my goal as a pastor is not to build a digital audience. It's not or to pastor some digital church that's here digitally while you're here physically. Anything that gets mediated through technology becomes content. It's something to consume. And that's great. We'll put our content out there for people to consume, but church is about our participation in creating worship and experiencing the transformative presence of Christ. That's what it's about. And so I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't have a date, but as we come out of this surge, as we look to the spring, we want to inculcate the right habits for our people. And the right habit is being here even if it's inconvenient, even if it's hard. So I'd encourage you. We're grateful for those who join you on, your li- on this live stream. But, but as we move into endemic mode here and out of pandemic mode, I would just prayerfully consider, okay, when are we going to come back? When are we going to be physically here? Because there is something that happens as we participate that can only happen when we're together. So reprioritize the physical presence of the people of God. Be the initiative taker. It's hard to reestablish relationships right now. We've been out of the habit for two years. Someone's got to take the first step, okay? So on Sunday, someone's got to take the first step to look at the person who's disconnected and say hi. It's going to be easier now. They won't have a name tag, right? Find that person. Who's going to reach out to them? You know, we tell you all the time, join community groups, join community groups, join community groups. We do. We want all of you in a community group. Here's my challenge. If you're in a community group, do you have a posture of seeking those who aren't in one yet? For those who are in community groups and have room, are you seeking out people who are disconnected and going after them? Maybe you're a voting member here and you haven't connected to a community group and you're just frustrated by the lack of community. Pray about starting one. We need new leaders and new groups to form new connections. We'll help you start one. Maybe that's the way that you need to take initiative this year. So be the initiative taker to break us out of this habit. 
Finally, commit to cultivating relationships with people out of the comfort zone. Remember, this isn't a family that we would pick. It's a family we get. So across ethnic lines, across generational lines, there are people here that are going to bless you immeasurably. Maybe they're that person in your community group. You're like, why are you here? (laughs) You don't seem to fit here. That's great. Form a relationship with them. Because then you get to experience this promise that the church is a community God gives you and not one you'd pick for yourself. Some of my richest relationships here at Creekside are with people who are so unlike me, it's kind of silly. Like, how on earth are we hanging out together? This is weird, right? I love having coffee with those people because people walk by and they're like, right? Exactly. That's what we want. Focus on those people who push you out of your comfort zone. That's your family, right? Not what you pick, but what you'd receive. Jesus says that the identifying marker of his disciples will be what? Our love for who? One another. By this, all people will know, the world will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. Not just that you love people generically, but you radically, sacrificially love each other. Do you see why? Because Jesus died to give us that community. And if we're disciples, that's how we love. I'll end with this because this is the challenge, right? The challenge here is that we've tried. And and if you've been in the church long enough, then no one has hurt you and more disappointed you more than who? The church. The, the, the longer you're a Christian, the more hurt and disappointment builds up with the people of God and the way they failed you, disappointed you, mistreated you. And the reality is that's going to be true for, sadly, everyone in this room. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to get hurt by other Christians. And the more I'm going to hurt other Christians. And the more you're going to hurt other Christians. And eventually a fatigue can kind of set in and you can just say, it's just not worth it. Um, if you've been hurt, I grieve that. And and what I would say to you is that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be in your shoes. Because Jesus spent the prime years of his life investing in this group of men. That was the church. And even after all that investment, all that faithfulness, at his greatest moment of need, what do they do? They all bail on him. The lead guy... He disowns Jesus. One of them proves to be a snake and betrays him and sells him out to the religious authorities. Um, And then Jesus dies for all of our sin. What does that mean? You know who has been hurt the worst by the church? Jesus. No one has been hurt by the church like Jesus has. No one loves the church more than Jesus. How, how could anyone? It's his bride. And, and, and so the question isn't, do you love the church? It's, do you love Jesus? Because Jesus loves his people. And like Jesus says to Peter in John 21, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. What's Jesus saying? Peter, do you love me? Love my people. That's how you show your love to me. And that helps us to recommit to hard, messy relationships because we do it for his sake.
and his great love. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that that Creekside would be a place where people experience your healing, your renewal. Um, Lord, it is a hard season to be together. I'm just so grateful for the people in this room. Lord, for the people watching. Lord, for everyone who is making the time, counting the cost to to stay connected. And and Lord, I pray that as we move into 2022, we would continue to see our absolute need for each other and grow deeper and deeper in our relationships to glorify you and to experience your life-giving power. Jesus, thank you for your unrelenting love that even though no one has been hurt by the church more, no one loves the church more. And so we praise you for that, Jesus, in your name, amen.